0: Hey, this is Mark. If this is your first time, welcome. If you've been with us for a few episodes, thank you for coming back and sticking with us. On this episode, we have John Pierre Alfred. He's an insightful entrepreneur and a uh, social media influencer. I think you'll pick up from this, um, this episode, the value of learning by doing. And the power of uh, speaking truth, no matter what room you're in and no matter what space you're in, your truth matters. And, and, and using your voice for good and for others is very powerful and it comes back to you in ways that are, aren't expected. So thank you again and welcome to the Parlay in All Blue. jean Pierre Alfred, welcome to the Parlay and All Blue. JP, how are you? Thank you, thank you, thank you for
1: having me. Um, doing okay, trying to manage growth both professionally and personally, and I think I'm doing better on one than the other. Um, but I'll talk to you about which one that is. Um, yeah, there you go. The <laughs> in a sec.
0: Hey, it's all a journey, and I, I think that you know maybe maybe we come back for uh, yeah we, we come back for another interview. On whichever one you don't talk about, you know, in a couple of years, and just talk about what that journey is like because it all goes together. You are in the midst of some exciting things, and we will get to that later. You are also someone that I have been impressed by with your ability to explain technical or some may even say wonky concepts about business and being in the startup world in a way that's digestible without watering it down. And I think that's a real skill and we'll, we'll talk about that. And I, and I'm sure the audience will, will pick that up. And you also have a very steady voice on matters of, of race and business and, and those kinds of things. So, you know, I'm looking forward to this and I'm sure that the audience will pick up a lot from it. But but where I'd like to start with, just before we get into anything about what you're doing now in business or how you got to this point in with with where you are about those exciting things, we'll get to it, is I just want to take you back to, in our prior conversation off, off mic, 9-11. And for me, that kind of in a way, begins a, a journey and sets you on a path. Can you sort of take us from from where you were in 9-11 and what that did to you and, and where you went from there?
1: So like everybody who you talked to that was alive at that time and of able body and mind to remember, mm-hmm. the one clear thing that's always memorable is where we were, what we were wearing, and what we were doing and who we were doing it with. When 9-11 occurred, I was in college at Nassau Community College, right down the block from Hofstra University. And I didn't know what I, I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't know where I, where I wanted to do it at. 9-11 happened. And when it did happen, I just remember where I was on campus. And my friend Isabel picked me up. We drove back home on the Southern State Highway. And we remember it was like a scene out of Armageddon. You know, all the vehicles bottlenecked on one side of the road and the other side of the road was completely blank. No traffic whatsoever. And you can see the tower smoldering in the in the background, in the skyline. And that day, I can very vividly say that day literally changed the rest of my life, only because it set me on a course that I would follow where a series of life-changing events would happen that would bring me to where I'm at today. And I, I, I think that foundationally, if I had to just point to one thing in life, I think that it was the trigger being 9-11, which led me into where I'm at today.
0: Thank you for that. It's just just, a, just trying to get the the visual of it, is NASA Community College, is that on Long Island?
1: It is on Long Island. It's in Long Island. It's in Hempstead. It's in the county of, of town of Hempstead. And it's in Long Island, right next to, Hofstra, literally right next door to Hofstra University. And I was going there for a two year uh, for my two year degree, associates in criminal justice. And I was supposed to actually have gone to Johnson and Wales University to play football, but I didn't want to play football anymore. And then when nine eleven happened, I said, you know what, let's get in shape and let's go into the military. You know, testosterone filled, and you know, having seen what my mother went through because she worked uh, right next door to the towers, having seen what she went through, you know, uh, I fell for the traditional marketing of, you know, got to go get the bad guy type of thing. So, I mean, there's a reason why they sang young young men to war instead of old men, because if it was old men, you know, you'd never have any war. But uh, I wasn't a thinking man at that time, uh, and I don't think that many 18 to 21-year-olds are, and I was just a number in the system. However, the system benefited from me, and I also benefited greatly from the system, whatever we want to call that system conceptually. But I benefited greatly from the experiences that I had, both positive and negative. But overall, the experience I would say brought me to where I'm at today. It foundationally changed me, business wise, and as far as far as intensity is concerned, discipline, motivation,
0: all. And so, when you said those, you said that the system benefited from you. I'm sensing something more there. I feel like there's a a question I need to ask. What are you what are you what are you saying? So I'm hearing that your time there, you definitely became a more motivated person, focused person and picked up some things. But there's it seems like you're saying something else there.
1: Sure. Uh, So if you follow if you listen to the typical narrative of why it is that we went to war, And the basis of why we went to war you know defend freedom protect the nation yeah protect the nation is one aspect of it but defend freedom i don't necessarily know and i think that if you and this is not opinion this is actual dod facts based off of the common knowledge of what we know the war was fought on based on lies everything down to colin powell it was based on lies so when you look at that and you understand the way the system functions, you're able to say, OK, the system benefited from me in the war effort, but I benefited more in what I got back in terms of experiences, people that I learned. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. How long were you in?
1: I was in the service for a decade, 10 years on the dot. And I decided to, I decided to get out.
0: And, and you, you, when you, you left, did you go right into, did you go back to NASA or you, you went into business or?
1: No, I got my degree while I was still in. And when I got out, you know, the typical, the typical from my senior leaders, it was very much, oh, I can't believe you're going to get out. You're halfway through, man. And, you know, when you, right. when you think about that and when you unpack that statement, you're halfway through there's a level of dependency that's there. And senior leaders told me, you know, what are you going to do? Well, I don't know. And well, how are you going to pay for insurance? How are you going to do that? And it's very much, it's not one of those things geared towards motivation because I don't even think they had the answer for that. It seemed more so like you are dependent on this system and you should rely on it and you shouldn't leave because you don't know what else is out there. Well, if, People didn't explore options and opportunities and they only went with what was in front of their face. You know, we wouldn't have technological advances. We wouldn't have design architectural advances. You have to be able to uh, break out of that comfort zone because as ironic as it is, your comfort zone, I learned in the military, will kill you and it'll get other people killed. So I wasn't afraid to branch out of my comfort zone. I think that when you deal with life and death decisions and issues and seeing life and death, it gives you a, a better appreciation for life and wanting to maximize that capability. At the end of the day, you have 86,400 reasons why, because there's 86,400 seconds in a day and every second I count, every single one is how I look at it. And I don't stop for anything.
0: I heard that. Now that's, that's really good. And so, Leaving your comfort zone, did you, did you go? Did you start on your entrepreneurial journey, or did you what would you do first?
1: So, sometimes, and what I want people to understand, arrows got to get pulled backwards in order to go forward. So, I actually ended up going backwards. <laughs> I actually went, and this is no shade to them, but I actually went to work at Dick Sporting Goods, and because I needed a job, I needed to pay rent, I needed to support myself. And I knew I did not want to go back and to government contracting or be a government employee. I didn't want to do that. And my brother approached me with an opportunity to come work for his company with him. And at the time I was like, ah, you know, I was on the fence, but then I was like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take that shot. So I left Maryland and went back up to New York and was working with him, building up his transportation company and, I, was, I started to get a feel for the, the language of business because I think business is very much a specific language. It's not just an action that you put forward. You need to be able to understand the language that business owners and, and people in business speak. So in learning that language and in learning how to communicate on a business level, I started to get the foundational experience that I needed that I don't think that you can necessarily get from sitting down in a class, whether you're going through Get your bachelor's degree in business administration, or you're going to get your MBA. I think that there's a level of experience that you need, personal one-on-one communicative experience that you need that B school does not offer you. And I got that. Uh, I always like to people like to always say the first thing when they meet me is, you know, where'd you get your MBA from? Like, I don't have my MBA, but I went through the School of Hard Knocks, and that's a degree that most people
0: don't have. Yeah. So now, what what business was your your brother in? What did what what did you go into?
1: It was in transportation. So he actually left home health care and he went into the transportation business. And because as ironic as it was, he was running a home health care agency and he was looking and he, he's the one who's responsible for approving expenditures and whatnot. And he saw how much money was being devoted towards transportation. And he went down the, the offices in Queens and he went down to visit the owner of the company. He's talking to the owner and he's like, you know, we're paying you well north of $50,000 a month for transportation. And the guy was literally running his operation out of a small Conex and a parking lot with two phones and a bunch of drivers sitting around inside of a lot. And he was like, this is a $50,000 or $100,000 operation per year because of all the other contracts. And he was like, I need to get into this business. So they formed up a partnership and brought him to where we're at today.
0: And so I'm trying to get the timeline right. Is that, is this about, what's this, 2010, 20?
1: So that timeline in terms of him, that was more so in the 2008, 2007, 2008 timeframe. And I came on to join him in the 2013 slash 2012, 2013 timeframe is when I came to join him.
0: Okay. And, and that's where you say you start to pick up sort of that language of business. What kinds of things were you doing and involved with that gave you that opportunity? Because I will tell you that a lot of people listening are like, well, you know, I work at, I work someplace but I haven't heard the language of business yet. But I mean, what, what were you doing that gave you the opportunity to absorb those valuable lessons?
1: So I was specifically responsible for sales I was literally the only person that was responsible for headhunting, going out and getting business. I first initially started out with my brother. I followed his lead and he wasn't too good at sales in terms of speaking and presenting, but I was really good at it because that's also what I also had to do when I was in the military was when you had the mission plan, you also had to plan for it. You had to present to your superior commanders and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is how long it's going to take. So I, I had those militaristic foundational experiences, but the language is a little bit different with the business level. It's very much, okay, this is your level of business, but it's understanding the business operation cycle of what it takes to actually employ somebody, what the costs are going to be, what the long run costs are going to be. When you do submit a price proposal to a customer, you can't just look at it from your business standpoint. You have to look at it from theirs, because is this going to be something where you make a whole lot of money in the beginning, but then they get rid of you later on? Or do you make the decision to plan out and say, you know what, instead of making $100 off of this, I'm going to make 25 and I'm going to make 25 for the next four quarters instead of just making $100 for one quarter. Um, so there's, there's long-term planning that goes into effect. So it's not just looking at what's in front of you. It's looking at what the cycle of operations are going forward on a quarterly basis and on a yearly basis going forward. So I was able to learn that and understand how to build budgets. I had never done that before, literally never opened an Excel spreadsheet, but now I build budgets in Excel nonstop now, literally about 10 to 15 minutes before this conversation. I just did a $24 million budget uh, with cost analysis and Literal uh, soup to nuts in gap accounting.
0: Yeah, I, I just want to just uh, narrow in on a couple of things before we we move forward because I I believe this is kind of the evolution, the beginning of the evolution to where you and your brother are now. When you said transportation, tell me what does that mean? If, w- w- transporting like people, things, what, what what's going on there? So the beginning
1: of the, when I first started with him, they had a couple of little contracts with small time clinics where we would pick up passengers for the clinics and understanding the business cycle of how a doctor's clinic works. The doctor makes money with a patient that comes into their door. If the patient doesn't come, you know, they lose out. So understanding the business cost for the doctor is incredibly important. What's the average cost for a passenger? The average cost for a passenger is gonna be maybe 25 to 40 bucks for the doctor. So he's gonna spend 25 to 40 bucks, but he's gonna bill the insurance company 350 to 400 bucks. So he's gonna lose out 40 bucks, maybe, but one thing's for certain if that patient doesn't get in the door, he loses out completely and he doesn't make any money. So it's either make 300 bucks or make zero dollars. So the doctors on uh, nine times out of 10 choose to just uh, ride with a transportation company where they're able to roll all those costs in. At the end of the day, it's a win win. We get the business. The doctor gets the business. The patients get the service.
0: Thank you for that explanation. And, and I think for for people listening and certainly for even me listening, I know that there are a number of people that go to work every day and have no idea how their company makes money. I mean, they do their job really well, but they actually are not looking at all of the other things and not grasping the bigger picture. Because it's a lot of times um, we are in positions where, because we're not looking at the clues, we're like a detective stumbling over a crime scene and just messing it up. And it's all right there in front of you. But you said that it's your brother and a and is it your brother and a partner at this point in you, or is it just you and your brother?
1: So it was very much my brother and his partner at that time. And when we got, when we got there, when I got there, I should say, my brother was just starting to grow the business. So the way that that business functioned at the time, and keep in mind, uh, in terms of time frame, this is right around when Uber is really starting to percolate and come into the market. But the way that the traditional taxi transportation service functioned was it functioned on a subscription basis where drivers would pay us $175 per week in cash to be able to operate. And we would give them business in kind to where they were making around $2,000 to $3,000 a week, uh, depending on the level of volume and the type of contracts and work that they were doing. So what ended up happening was we had around 25 to 30 drivers at the time when I got there and by the time we were done and we separated with that partner, we had over 250 to 300 drivers all paying us 175 cash per week. We had contracts with Resorts World Casino in Queens where we managed all of their transportation. We had contracts with Delta Airlines, JFK. We did all of their transportation. So we were growing the business, substantially growing the business
0: and that separation with the the partner that you mentioned was that was that an amicable separation or
1: no it, it definitely wasn't uh we didn't get paid what we were due the way that the business was supposed to function even with traditional as a sales employee typically as a salesperson you get a salary and you get a commission i wasn't even getting my commission at, at all whatsoever my brother wasn't getting his portion of it, it everything was oh, you know, we'll pay you. I'll pay you. Don't worry about it. I'll give you a percentage of profit. Well, here's a learning lesson for you. When somebody says they'll give you a percentage of profit, you have to be very careful. Because if they're going to give you a percentage of profit, if the company makes 100000 and he has expenses for, let's say, 85 90000 you know, a percentage of profit is only going to be $10,000. So you have to be very careful how the expenses are balanced on the company and the way that he was balancing the expenses. He was taking all of the expenses at the macro level of the business and expensing them only on the accounts that I was bringing in. So we were getting cheated, basically. So I was not going to continue to work for free. I decided to form my own corporation and I told my brother, this is what we're going to do. And my brother was just, everything was moving so fast. My brother was just like, okay, fine. Uh, there's a lot of risk here. And we actually ended up separating completely. And it turned out to our benefit. Certain contracts he kept, other ones we got paid out for. But we were able to parlay that experience in working with a company called Get, which was a major ride-hail company that was in the city that was just launching in competition against Uber at the time. Was it Get? Yes. It's an Israeli-based company. Uh, they're one of the big four it's Uber, Lyft, Get, and uh, Didi, uh, which is the major Chinese ride-hail company.
0: Got it. And and so you all went into another partnership from there. Talk to me about you know that experience and what you learned in that partnership.
1: So that was one of those uh, plant your flags in the ground moments for us because that gave us every bit of foundational experience that we needed because we didn't understand the tech world. We didn't know it as of yet. It wasn't a hard lesson to learn, but we needed to learn it anyway. And when we were approached by Get, this was your typical, you know, Harvard, McKinsey consulting guys that said, you know what, let's take everything we learned in B-School and let's form a company. We can challenge Uber. It's not how it works. You need to understand business and you need to understand the operations of a business in order to scale it properly properly and insert technology. Technology is only as good even when you have a smartphone. You know, it says subject to the user's capabilities. So you could have a Ferrari, but if you can't drive, you know, you've got a really nice car that you're probably going to crash. So what we were able to do was we consulted with Get, and they educated us very, very well on technology and how to apply technology in certain cases. So I actually, uh, I guess, if you want to give a title, I somewhat became solutions engineer in terms of looking at a business case and using technology to, to solve the business case problem. On the other level, I was also responsible for sales for them, and I grew their company substantially with my brother. We grew up by over 1,100% in just under a year, and they actually ended up taking around 10% market share from Uber. So it was substantial, definitely was, based off of our growth pattern. We cut their expenditures by $3 million a month, to just under 150000 a month, they were losing. So that was a substantial cut. And we were actually, became the first ride hail company to actually be profitable above everybody else.
0: Yeah. And I, is, is Uber profitable at this point? No,
1: they are not. Till this day.
0: Yeah, I know. I know that, well, and, and this is all kind of pre-pandemic, their revenues were certainly going up, up and up, but they, had yet to to turn a profit just yet. You know, it's really insightful, I think, um, for you to point out that technology is just an enabler. It's a business enabler. A lot of people, I, I, I hear so many people who are saying, you know, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to start an app. I'm like, you're going to start an app? <laughs> like, who are you serving with that app? Where? How much does it cost to serve people with that app? So, I think that's really insightful. Now, I think you said that Get was a partnership between you and your brother, or were you employees there, or were you? Were you it's, well, no, you said you formed a corporation, and so you're partnering there. But clearly, I don't think you're you're still in partnership with Get, I don't think. No.
1: Well, technically, so I'll give you an update because this has happened within the last week yeah. since we actually spoke. We ended up coming there. We grew their business. And again, same thing happened again with, this, with the sales process. Like I guess I didn't learn my lesson twice, but I grew their company, added all these co- companies uh, to their balance sheet and doing business, but I didn't get the commission that I was owed. The difference here is I didn't burn the bridge, even though I had every right to. I had the matches, I had the gasoline, and I could have burned the bridge, but we didn't. And just in the last week, the founders of Get, or the CEO, the global CEO, reached out to me, and we have since executed an agreement together where we are going to be doing and facilitating some of their rides for them in order to launch back in New York City.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: A lot of people would say, well, don't those people owe you money? Of course they do. That'll come. But the most important thing that I've learned in business is the relationship and how you maintain the relationship. Even sometimes in business, one thing that I've learned, you're going to have to maintain a poor relationship, even though you have every right to cut it off, because it's about what comes down the road later on. And the later on has come and it's incredibly advantageous to us right now.
0: Yeah, you know, I want to talk about those relationships because I think that's probably one of the first places where I became aware of you is on social media. You were posting about the importance of of relationships. But before just before I get to that, with Get, you're not getting the commission. And do you then form you break off and you you form another company or or what happens from from there?
1: At the time, we were contractors. For them, uh, because we didn't want to be employees. But the CEO at the time, he convinced us, he was like, Listen, can we just make you guys employees? Things will be a lot smoother for us. And we're like, whatever, as long as the pay is the same, I don't care. So we became employees for them. And when we saw the turn for the company going towards the worst, because I don't know what it is, but something about startups, there's a high degree of churn. That's number one. Number two, they have this thing where they want to just bring new blood in periodically every six to eight months. And they changed the CEO to this guy who was, and this is not my opinion, he was a complete racist. He was a bigot. And racism very much is the ability to project power. I say that he was a racist because he was, he was able to project power. I'll give you a specific example. They would have promotions where they would say, you know, Anywhere below 96th Street is going to be X price, but they would never offer those promotions in Harlem. They would never offer those promotions in parts of Brooklyn. And the one outstanding factor was color. It's the number one thing. And when we spoke, when I spoke with the, with my counterpart using marketing, you know, why aren't you doing this? It was that demographic doesn't really suit uh, where we're trying to go. So they use, these coded words to be able to say, yeah, we don't want to give those promotions to black people at the end of the day. So to be in that uh, in that company, I-, I like to say that it was, it was sort of like being a fly in milk. You're the only black thing in a space that's just pure white. And you have to figure out how to carve your niche. And I had to do that knowing that I knew more about the business than my counterparts and my superiors. The only thing that they have above me, I guess, if you want to call it even that, is where they were at in their resume and where they went to B school at. That's the only thing. But to me, that still didn't matter.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that. You know, one of the things that uh, I believe it seems that many in the country are struggling with is that you can have Race neutral language and still be projecting an outcome that's based on disadvantaging people of color I mean just because you're not using a slur or something like that does not mean that you are are not racist or being intentionally racist, you know or that you're you're certainly walking through the gate and when you're saying we're not going to offer certain discounts or or promotions in Harlem and certain areas of Brooklyn you are talking about black folks it's like if you know i'm from i'm from chicago originally and if you said you're not doing something on the south side of chicago literally everybody in the world knows that you're talking about black people 100% i mean so this is is just the way it is so with the change in in management what have you did you leave or you severed ties then was that sort of the the impetus to, to leave
1: Sure. So in 2017, when that management change occurred, we let things go on autopilot. Autopilot in the sense we were not in control anymore. We were not influencing what was happening. We said, all right, guy, you want to come in and run this the way you want based off of a spreadsheet? Go ahead. And he began the precipitous decline of get and started to reverse all of the positive gains that we had. And we left, Uh, my brother left in January of 2017 and I left uh, about a month and a half, two months later. And the only thing that we were wrong about was how long it would take for them to actually fail and close up shop. We projected that they would fail within a year. They actually took less than that. They failed within nine months and they were out out of town. Uh, They had to close up operations. And it was literally everything that we said would happen just happened sooner than what we said. And we didn't say anything. We didn't say, I told you so. We kept it professional. The founder reached out to us and we're just like, listen, man, we wish you guys the best of luck. And lo lo and behold, here they are knocking at our door again. And it's a mutually beneficial relationship for where we're at in the the current uh, current state. Will that relationship remain mutually beneficial? I don't think so. However, if it no longer becomes mutually beneficial, then we have to separatize. And that goes on both ways. If they benefit more and we don't bring anything to the table, I have the responsibility to say, hey, guys, you know, I'm not living up to my end of the bargain and vice versa.
0: Yeah. So so you you mentioned a term, and I, I want to level set on this. You mentioned the term startup and startups having a unique culture and churn. What's, what's the difference between a startup and, you know, me just – Going and get forming an LLC or any other type of, of business that's just just beginning. What what makes startups unique?
1: Sure. Uh, so within the startup space, um, I this is my personal definition of it. It's going to be a business that you scale with little to no help, manpower wise. In addition to that, you are addressing a fundamental need using technology in some way, shape, or form. That, to me, are some of the hallmarks of what a startup is. If you are not doing that, and let's say you're just opening up a grocery store on the corner, yeah, you just started up a business, but to me, it's not a a typical startup. If you have a startup that's a grocery store where there's no uh, cashiers, everything is automated, sandwiches, everything gets made like that with an automated process, then to me, that's more more in lines with being a startup.
0: Got it. And so you had the first venture where you, you and your brother are partnering with someone and you're doing home health care or health care transportation. And then it seems like you expanded into some entertainment and airlines and then you join Get in a partnership. And then looks like here in 17, a couple of years ago, are you all, you and your brother, In startup land, or are you back to partnerships?
1: We were very, no, we are very much in startup land right now. So in 2017, when we formed our company, we were hit with a non-compete. So we could not operate for about a year and a half. So a year and a half, I took a break. I had my son in June of 17, and that was an experience all in itself. And everything happens for a reason. It was painful, 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 painful to be able to have a son, and you're still trying to scale a business and raise funds covertly. And you're looking at the, the purse that you had at one time, you're looking at it dwindle down. And it's not even like my son is the draw on the expenses. It's business expenses. I was paying almost $25,000 a month in just legal fees to be able to get all of my all of my legal documents in order, be able to get all of the paperwork that I needed, Because we had the mindset of we are going to launch our ride hail company. Because I've seen my competitors, I've seen my Lyft competitors, I've seen my Uber competitors. And I'm talking about, it's not at the time, it was Travis Kalanick, who's the founder of Uber, not at his level, but the people who he hires basically his second, third, fourth, and fifth in command I've met all of them at the time. And there's nothing special about them. That's not to say that there's anything special about me. We're all equals. And I look at them as, lunch. They are first to market. That is the only thing that separates them from me. They're first to market, but they are not best to market. And I believe that we have not only a superior product, we offer a superior product in terms of the actual tactile functions, but also a price point. In addition to that, other ancillary things that are going to be launching that I think that people are going to be pleasantly surprised about.
0: And, and so with that, I, I want to just add, you know, Michelle Obama, one of the things that I, I heard her say is she's been at every table with all the so-called elites and nobody, there's nothing special there, what have you. I think it's one of the things that I really encourage black people in general or specifically that you just need to try because what's on the other side is not special. It doesn't mean that. They're necessarily bad all the time, but it, it's you are worthy. You are enough where you are, and and uh, with a little hustle, you can accomplish a lot. But so what is that that company now? What's the name of your company, and what do you do?
1: So the name of the company is called Leap, L-E-A-P, and it is a ride-hail company that is based out of New York. It's launching or launched in New York first. It's a business-to-business solution. And in the second quarter of 2022, we're going to be launching a B2C solution. So you'll actually be, as a private customer, be able to download the app and use it. Right now, we're only launching for businesses, and we're acquiring our user growth that way. And if you understand the machinations of the ride economy, it's a lot more efficient for me to target a business that has 1,000 employees than to target a thousand employees who are scattered everywhere in the city who may or may not use me. So I rather just go after the business, talk to the travel manager, and say, hey, here's my company, here's the prices, here's what I offer. Do you want to use us? Because I already know you use the service. So I'm giving you a better technological platform, I'm giving you a better price point. Oh, and by the way, we're black, black owned, 100%, no investors, self funded. So the buck stops with me. I don't have to go for approvals. Anything you need, you come to me. And a lot of the times they've been saying yes. And down to the fact that the largest uh, vendor in the city, which is New York City Transit, has basically extended us a major ride hail contract. And we are the prime vendor uh, for New York City Transit.
0: You know what? I want to congratulate you on that. And um, when you and I talked earlier, that was just coming into fruition and you had to knock some people out to, to even get there. And so congratulations on that. I, I do wanna ask uh, just for people in the audience who are not necessarily business people or what have you, when you say business to business and you're targeting, what, what types of businesses are you targeting and what, for what kinds of rides? So right now what we're transporting is non-emergency medical transportation.
1: So a lot of hospitals use us, a lot of medical clinics on a larger scale. So instead of focusing on your local doctor's offices, we're actually going to actual clinics that have, you know, anywhere between a thousand employees to over 50,000 patients. So we're transporting them and we are a major uh, government contractor and vendor to the point where, and I want to stress this to your viewers also, if you own a business, One of the top things that you can do is get that minority business certification and be patient, be patient and apply for bids because my patience and my diligence in applying for bids, when I got that contract with the New York City Transit for the MTA, I then became a prime vendor for them as a minority business. Literally, I didn't have to do anything. They called me. Other city agencies called me to where I'm now the prime vendor for the New York uh, City uh, law group. So that's the pro bono attorneys that work at the courts. We do all of their transportation. The Board of Elections Committee, we are about to sign a service agreement with them. That's over 2,000 employees. So when I say target those businesses, if you think about it, look at it from a general city standpoint, any city. It's really hard to market to a group of people that are bifurcated. They're everywhere. They're scattered. Everybody's going on their own thing. They're doing their own thing. They're not really going to see your advertisement. Okay. However, the target is going to a guaranteed location. They're going into 55 West 10th street. That's the building. They're guaranteed to be in there between 8am and 5pm. They're in one fixed location. I can literally target all of my marketing advertising into that one building and location, and they're always going to see me. So I target the the travel manager. The travel manager gets a notice of who we are. The travel manager then sends out the email once we get the agreement going. Hey, everybody, this is our new transportation company. Download their app. I have a cost of acquisition there. The cost that it takes to get that contract, let's just say it was 250 bucks, Right. I would have had to spend $250 probably per passenger to acquire them. I just acquired over 2,000 employees for $250. I think that's a good cost of acquisition. Yeah. So it, it works out to your benefit because if you provide that service really well, what ends up happening is that you have a crossover. And in business, what crossover means is they might have signed up to use you for one specific reason in service. But they found after that that there's more use for you. And in this case, when you're at work and you have to use the transportation company that's registered with the company, well, if you have a positive experience, what's going to happen after work? You're going to use us also. So we know that there's that level of crossover. We're already seeing it now. So what we're doing is it allows us to get that business to business customer and convert them to a B2C customer. And the benefit there is we already know that they're a paying passenger. We already know that they have a job and we already know that there won't be any fraud. So it's a win win on all sides.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And, and thank you for uh, taking the time to to break that down. Listen, I want to sh- switch gears a little bit because of how I I know you and b- meaning how I, how I became aware of you is through social media you have quite the following because of you know just clearly as people like i said at the beginning people will get that you know you're very articulate on matters of business and and very insightful there but you you are also quite frank in terms of what it's like to be black in these spaces and speaking very eloquently on race. And that's not something that, you know, people usually in your position, a lot of business people, most business people are pretty conservative and staying low or what have you. How did that come about where you're using your voice and platform in that way? So in
1: reverse, my brother, I'm, I'm socially conservative myself, personally, on a personal level. My brother hates the fact that I have social media. He hates it absolutely hates it, but he knows the benefits of it. So he allows it uh, to continue on from an older brother perspective. But the social media part literally came by accident. I was in the office working and I decided to download TikTok. And again, first time using it. And you would think I'm in the tech space. I, I would be hip on TikTok, but I wasn't. And I literally saw a video And I'm looking at how other people post uh, with stitches and stuff like that. So I stitched a video based off of experiences in the business space where I specifically just talked about what it's like being in Silicon Valley or being in the tech space as a black person. And the video went absolutely viral. People were commenting on it. And in my eyes, I'm thinking that I'm responding to each individual content with a video So I'm hitting the reply with a video button and I'm uh, video recording the responses. And I'm thinking it's just going to that one person. And when I looked at it, I got phone calls from people saying, hey, are you on TikTok? And I'm like, at first, the person who called me, I was like, no, why? And they're like, no, man, you're on TikTok. And I just saw your video. And this is a person that's all the way in New York. And I was like, yeah, why? And they're like, you're going viral. And then my, one of my best friends calls me, who's uh, right here in Virginia. And he's like, he texts me. He's like, you're on TikTok? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, have you looked at your following yet? And he was like, you have like 5,000 followers. And just an hour ago, I only had three followers. So the next thing I know, I start getting all of these messages on my phone. These text messages are coming through. Like, I can't believe you're on TikTok you're this you're that like oh my gosh i didn't know and i'm just like what in the world so i close my app i get back to work and i'm getting non-stop phone calls now so i open up my app again and i look and i see almost 20,000 followers at the time so i'm like what in the world is this so there was at the time i think like 20 25,000 in the span of like two days. And then the next thing I know, I got banned by TikTok for whatever reason. Um, I didn't really care. I was just like, "Ah, whatever. And I got banned on TikTok and they gave me some miscellaneous reasons. Somebody reported my videos for uh, bigoted comments because I was basically saying that Black people face hell that they're catching in the startup world from white people. And for those people that are listening, uh, that listen to hip hop music, Jay-Z's last album He literally said the new redlining is Afrotech, you know, African-Americans in the technology space. That is the new redlining. And those that are not familiar with what redlining is, it's specifically when government institutions in conjunction with private capital, they redline areas of a certain city and basically carve out what is going to be the ghetto or where black people live and what is going to be, you know, the affluent parts of town and that's what it's like in the tech space. And I want to be clear on something that we that you touched on before in regards to, you know, black people in any space. Every space that I've walked into, I've consulted for pizza shops, I've consulted for restaurants, clothing companies, other tech firms, healthcare companies. One thing is unanimously across the board their labor force are black or people of color. Um, I lump everybody as the same because a lot of Latin people, they like to think that they're not. You're black. But yeah. without a doubt, the creatives, all black. They see they're black or they're uh, women or people of color. Hands down. I have yet to walk into one place where it's not like that. Not one.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, Rest in peace, Michael K. Williams. But when he was uh, playing the character Chalky White and Boardwalk Empire, he and he and the main character, Nucky Thompson, for those who hadn't seen the show, talking about starting a club in Atlantic City and Chalky, who's black and Nucky, who's white. And the business model was. Black on stage and white in the house, meaning, you know, the talent and the creative and the institution will still be white, but, you know, there will be black talent and those things there. So I I will say that for anybody who is wanting to hear more of your stories because there, there's so many and I couldn't just pick through one and you've given us some, some really good examples here. What is your, um, you are tailpipe, right? Is that tailpipe
1: zero eight on IG and TikTok is what I go by. Tailpipe was a call sign in the military. So I took that call sign on also continuing on, but Yeah, like it's, social media has been, and again, we see it every day on social media. There is not one dance that doesn't come from Black people. And again, I say this in an expansive level, I include, you know, Latin people also. There's not one single dance. There's not one single comedic or trendy thing that's going on that's not started and created by Black people. Yep. TikTok is famous because of Black creatives. Twitter is famous and popular because of Black people. There's a reason why there's a Black Twitter. And that's not to say, and one of the things that I I like to do, uh, I want to highlight something because I don't believe in marginalizing one group over another. That's not to say, because white people listening to this, that's not to say that white people don't work hard. That's not to say white people are not creative. What I'm talking about specifically is the majority of monetization that occurs at the business level comes from the labor sweat equity of people of color. Hands down. I'm sorry that you might feel that way, but it's just the facts. And the facts don't care about your opinions because when you look at Instagram, it's the same thing. Look at the most famous people on Instagram and look at their following. And I don't care. We, We can even pick a Justin Bieber who's white. Justin Bieber will tell you flat out, he is famous because he represents black culture. He's even said it himself. Yeah. He is the white face for black culture.
0: Hands down. Eminem, same thing. Eminem, the same thing. I think it's uh, like Beyonce, The Rock, Rihanna, who are some of the you know bigger people on there. So the, the numbers certainly bear that out. To sort of bring us home here, I want to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests. And again, congratulations and thank you so much for sharing your story and being, you know, candid and open about it. And all the best to you and your, your brother with what you have going. And we'll be looking for leap when it goes business to consumer. So we'll we be, be sure to, um, to catch rise that way. Let me ask you a question. What does it mean to live well? To me personally, I'll give you two answers. The first answer
1: is going to be the easy one. To live well to me is you don't have to wake up stressed about how you are going to pay a bill or how you're going to feed yourself, how you're going to be able to cover your daily expenses. That to me is the first superficial level of living well. To truly live well means I'm able to not only cover myself financially, but those people that I care about the most financially also. And it's not just hand to mouth, you know, giving them something. It's more so putting them in a position to give themselves something. I have friends now that I literally subcontract to that have moving companies, logistics, moving companies. I have friends that have catering businesses. When I have an event or I know of a contractor who has an event that they're going for, I tell them, hey, I have the perfect catering company for you. Oh, you're moving your offices? I have the perfect business to help you do all of your logistical moves. So I'm constantly looking at how do I connect the dots for my friends? I'm never looking for, hey, can you pay me on the backside? No, that'll come. It's a part of that relationship building. And I think in our community where we get lost is we take these opportunities and we look at these opportunities that come in self-serving needs and i think that that really that really hampers our growth and it hampers our relationship because at the end of the day a business that's starting up if i tell you hey mark you know i got this great this great person that you can interview and you know you're going to you're going to get famous off of it over 20 million people are going to listen to your podcast per month and then i come and tell you but i want 20%. you can't give me 20% of something that you don't have. Right and right. I think that I think that's one of the worst and most destructive things that you can do. It's not about what you're going to be able to benefit from first. And there's and we talked about this in different books. There's people who read the 48 laws of power and then there's people that read you know the Dale Carnegie how to win friends and influence people. I am averse to the 48 laws of power. I don't think that it's a book to follow. It's not it doesn't fit my personality style. I'm very much how to win friends and influence people. It's a relationship building book, and it's a book that's built on longevity. And a business that is successful is built on relationships and longevity. So I believe, in my opinion, that's what's best suited
0: for me. I agree with you. When I, when I, um, the 48 Laws of Power seems very exploitive and it seems very transactional to me. And so it's something that, I, you know, I see people talking about it and, and all of these things. I'm like, but that's just I, that's just not how I want to live.
1: I can tell you right now in my in my final interview process and I have yet to be wrong, I started doing this about 2016, Yeah, 2016, maybe 2017. And specifically now also, because now we have close to 60 people that work for us now. Every single exit interview that I do, I ask them about the books that they read. And I ask them, you know, have you ever heard of the book, The 48 Laws of Power? And the vast majority of them say yes, they have. And I ask them, you know, have you ever heard of How to Win Friends and Influence People? And some of them say yes, some of them say no. No. Those that have, I ask them, you know, between the two, which one do you think fits your personality? And it's interesting. The women that work for the company, that have read both books, the women say, no, you know, I don't really like 48 Laws of Power. It's just not for me. It feels like a book for narcissists, some people have said. And the guys for the most part, and there've been other guys that say, no, they don't like the 48 laws of power, but the ones that do, I know that they're not gonna last. And I look at how they operate in the company now, and it's very much corporate-like in the sense they are focused with their work product instead of the team's work product. And there's a very big difference. If you're there to make your numbers, but the rest of the business suffers, look at it like this. You're on a boat and the boat is going to sink. But because you're rowing in what you think is the right direction, it doesn't really matter if the boat sinks now, does it? And I've recognized that those people, and again, I hire them in hopes that one, they can do the job. That's number one, but I'm not going to strike them out and eliminate them based off of that. But I, I look at the progression of their work product and I look at how they operate and the progression of their work product is very much self-serving, and I know that they won't last. Or at least, I know guaranteed, I can't put them in positions of leadership
0: because to be a leader means that you sacrifice yourself. That's right. That's right. Hey, listen, trust women, and I and I mean that. That's not just a phrase. Hey, trust women. Now, I want to talk to you on a lighter note. You went famous. Uh, went famous. Went viral. For a tweet or or a post rather on uh, TikTok or maybe it was on Instagram about verses, the the verses with locks and dipset. Talk to me about that one.
1: (laughs) So that one had a little bit of of crossover. So I posted it on TikTok and it ended up getting reposted on Instagram by Questlove, Eric Badu, I think, and a couple of other famous people. So I articulated it like this. For those people that watched the uh, the battle, you looked at a battle that was between two different competitors, one prepared and one unprepared. And what I said was, because the majority of my questions was always how to start a business, I always tell people you have to have a good plan and you have to execute that plan. And I compared the Lox's performance to a well-rehearsed business plan versus the Dipset group, which had... An idea of what they wanted to do. So you, you hear these people, I got this idea for a business. It's great you got an idea. I'm glad you do. But it's guaranteed that it's going to fail if it just remains an idea. If you don't write it down, if you don't yeah. plan it out, if you don't rehearse it, if you don't test it, it will fail. Guaranteed, it'll fail. Yeah. And the locks had a plan that they rehearsed, that they tested over time, and they perfected and they executed meticulously. To the point, I can't even listen to Dipset when it comes on the radio because it reminds me of that horrible experience.
0: Yeah, no, they changed. They changed. Uh, they changed a lot of my hearts and minds uh, uh, with that performance. So, so let me ask you this: We move past the business to business and, and growing more businesses, and now we're in business to consumer. And you and your brother having a big party. Who are you going to bring in, Erica Badu? Or the roots. You gotta bring in one of the, the people who, who, who reposted you. Which you only get to pick one. I gotta say
1: I that man, that's a tough one. Um I'd love to say Miss Badu, but yeah I I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go with the roots only because not just Quest Love, but Black Thought, which is to me one of the most top five underrated MCs underrated. in the game. Um, yeah. if you actually listen to his words and his music, you cannot help but be a fan. So I'd have to go with the roots. I gotta bring them in. I gotta bring them in
0: if I could. All right we're gonna bring the roots in. And then I'm gonna have one last question and this is very important given that we're in the Thanksgiving season. Now you are your family is Haitian. Is that yeah. that's yes. So Haitian food is Haitian food like all other Caribbean food. And I, and shout out to all other Caribbean food. I, I'm not dissing me I, I,
1: at all. It, it's the difference. In my opinion, looking at it, and I know I'm going to get some flack, there are certain things that Haitian culture might do better. For example, yeah. Haitian culture is really lauded for their rice. They do really, really good rice. Versus Jamaican food, where they do really, really good stews or curries, right? But in when you look at it in essence, in its totality, um, and again, I've eaten Cuban, Dominican, Haitian food from Saint Kitts, uh, food from all over, Jamaican food, Trinidadian food. It's all the same. It just has minor tweaks here and there, and yeah. it's named different. It's named differently. But to me, it's, it's almost all the same. It's not one for one. I want to be clear on that because I know I'm going to get people that are sucking their teeth and saying, oh, yeah, this guy's yeah. crazy. But for the most part, like it or not, we're all from the same culture and our food is almost all the same, whether it be the different ways that we cook pork. The methods might be different, but every, you know, every culture has its specialty dish. But I'd like to think that if I had to rank it, I would say Haitian food is up there. Jamaican food, it, it's like, to me, they're battling uh, neck and neck. And then there's Cuban food, like Haitian, Jamaican and Cuban food to me are, it, it's like the top notch. Um, I'm not really particular to Dominican food, but definitely Haitian, Jamaican and Cuban. Those to me are the most flavorable foods that, that, that I've had from the Caribbean. All
0: right. Well, listen, JP, we certainly appreciate you. And thank you because you didn't have to do this. I mean, you're in the middle of, ramping up a business and you have a lot of um, pulls on your time. I know. So you talked about connecting people. I know that you also really do a lot of individual consulting with people that uh, reach out to you online. So I appreciate you and we wish the best to you and your brother at Leap. And uh, thank you for being a guest on the Parlay in All Blue. It's an absolute pleasure. And for
1: those people that want to reach out to me on social media, you are more than welcome to. I tell everybody I will always get back to you. It might not be the same day that you message me, but I guarantee you I will get back to you. If you got a business question, I'll be more than happy to help you if I got the answer. I don't know everything. If I don't have the answer, I can pretty much guarantee I can point you in the right direction, though. But don't be shy to reach out. I have no problem responding to DMs at any point.
0: Okay, that's awesome. Thank you for that, and we really appreciate it. We're going to get out of here. You all stay tuned uh, for some announcements on the other side of this. JP, appreciate you again. Thank you. Take care, and God bless. God bless. We appreciate you here at the Parlay in All Blue. Please tell someone about us. Share the podcast. Make sure you leave a comment. You can find the Parlay in All Blue at Spotify, Apple, Google, amazon or stitcher wherever you receive your podcast you can find us there make sure that you add us as a favorite follow us or subscribe whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you're plugged in we want to say a big thanks to dj market g for allowing us to use his music exclusively on our podcast we appreciate it bro much love thank you again i'm out